Oh, yeah, and Holy Spirit, help us today. Take something in here and make it go. Appreciate all of you who are praying for Mary. Mary is still in the hospital. Um, She's dealing with now trying to just get her physical body to stabilize with all the stuff so that she can go to the rehab center because she's been sick so long that she needs to kind of build up muscle again. So thank you for those who prayed and those who are praying and those who visited. It means a lot. I'm going to talk today about evangelism. I know you're all excited about evangelism. And that's about the normal response to evangelism, too. That's okay. You didn't need to do that. Most people are not excited about it. But I want to share with you perhaps something different than what we've kind of got in our mind about what evangelism has become in the North American church. And to do that, I'm going to share with you something that Mary and I have been doing, but something that Mary in particular had happen yesterday. Um, she's in a, a, a part of the, the um, hospital that has a lot of care because she, she gets tested regularly for blood pressure and blood sugar and all kinds of stuff. They're giving her all the time. So she gets a lot of nurses in there. And we've had the privilege of praying with people. We've gotten prophetic words for them. We prayed for healing for one of the nurses, which she thought was really weird until she got healed. But that was kind of a cool thing. But yesterday I came in to visit her and brought our dog because, you know, Zoe and Mary are like inseparable and they've been separated for a while. So this week I've been bringing every other day, I've been bringing Zoe as well. And so I brought, brought the dog in and she said, well, there's, Mary said, there's this one nurse that really, really wants to meet her. And she says, but I want you to read this letter first. And so this nurse um, had dropped off a little handwritten letter on a blank piece of paper that said, I don't even know how to explain how amazing it is to have someone who I'm taking care of be the way that you've been to me. That when you prayed for me, it's like you knew what was in my heart. And I'm pretty new at being a nurse. And people are just mean to nurses. And I've really been hurt in my heart. And to have someone that would take the time, I'm paraphrasing, but this is close. Someone who would take the time, even as they lay in their hospital bed in pain, and pray for me that I would be envisioned to what God has called me to. I don't know God yet, she said. But if God's kind of like you, then I might be interested. See, We've got an idea of what evangelism looks like, and I want to suggest it looks biblically very different than what we in North America have turned it into. Evangelism is not doing something nice for other people. I mean, be nice, huh? But evangelism is not being nice. Atheists can be nice. Buddhists can be nice. Hindus can be nice. Evangelism is something more than that, and that scares us, did me, especially with the model that we grew up with. By the way, I want to thank the Bible discussion group. This teaching developed out of our last Bible discussion group, so thank you guys. 
The encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. And certainly one of the verses that comes from that interaction, John 3.16, is likely the most well-known verse in the Bible. And with good reason. So when we were going through it, I said, well, God, you know, we were in John 3. And so I go, well, what do you want to say to me? I've read this. I, you know, I, I know the whole thing, right? God, I'm so arrogant sometimes. I know the whole thing. So then I read the first two verses, and he said, what do you think? And I go, whoa, this is really different. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was highly trained and schooled in all of the teachings of Moses. If anybody could do church, it was Nicodemus. The Pharisees controlled all of the religious activities of the Jewish people. And most of the encounter in John 3 is Jesus explaining to Nicodemus, the religious expert, what it means to be born again. But what the Holy Spirit highlighted to me was the little part before Jesus started talking. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus was not attracted to Jesus because of his teaching. He looked down on Jesus' teaching because he was the pro. He wasn't attracted to Jesus because other people said, hey, you've got to hear this speaker because he just rocks it. None of those interested him at all. What's the end of verse 2 say? The reason why Nicodemus was interested, because for a religious person, the signs that Jesus did were an indicator that God was with him. Nicodemus was not attracted to the theology. He was a pro. Nicodemus was not attracted to the speaking. He was attracted to the signs that said, God is with that guy. Is it possible that signs are an indicator not just for Jesus, but for us? What if the world doesn't want to hear one more religious philosophy? What if they really don't want to talk about your favorite speaker? Would they still be attracted if you healed their kid? If they were going through a marital breakup and you got a word of knowledge to be able to share God's love with them about what's going on. If you ended up in the hospital, doctors trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with you, and you prayed and gave a prophetic word to the nurse serving you. What if that was considered an indicator of God's presence? Well, you know me. I want you to carry something home with you. If you don't get anything else, and I'm going to toss a lot of stuff in a hurry, something will stick, I think. Get this. Holy Spirit ministry is the most frequent biblical starting place for evangelism. Now, we learned about four spiritual laws and giving out tracts and all those kind of things. You can't even find that in the Bible. What you find over and over and over and over and over again 
is signs and Holy Spirit ministry as the initiator for evangelism. Oh, yeah, I got a load of scripture I'm going to give you today. More than you need, but I'll give it anyway. What if signs in the Holy Spirit are intended to be an indicator that God is with each one of us? If you go through your week and you go, okay, God, I prayed and I had my little devotion time stuff, and all those are good. But what if you had a God encounter with someone every day this week? It might change the way you look at evangelism. So we got a little nurse that she's off for three days. Her last little PS was, I, I hope that you get to go to St. John's for rehab. I hope for my sake you're still here. And if she is, she's going to get more. Because evangelism isn't about giving out tracts. It isn't about sharing theology. It's about giving people an experience with God. And that's the biblical model. If we're honest, most of us would say we rarely engage in direct evangelism. By direct evangelism, actually sharing with someone about who Jesus is, would they like to know him, something about that where you actually engage them. Once again, evangelism is not being nice to people. That's being Christian. But evangelism isn't being nice because there's no distinctive between your nice and the atheist nice. What separates us from every other belief system on the planet is the relationship we have with God and the capacity to give it to the people we talk to. People change when you give them an encounter. They look at you different. They talk to you different. So why don't people do it? I mean, the final command God gave us was what? Go into all the world and tell everybody about how awesome Jesus was, right? Do not raise your hands. But if I said, how many people went out and told someone this last week how awesome Jesus was, we would get very few hands. Not because I don't believe in you, but I believe in the statistics of hundreds of thousands of Christians across North America. We didn't do that. Why? I think there's two basic reasons. One is we're scared to death of people. We're afraid of what people are going to say. Fear of man, the Bible calls it, if you want to have the uptown version. We're scared of what people are going to think. What if I get a word and they don't like it? What if I pray and they don't get healed? What if I, and then we fill in the blank. Basically, it's fear of other people. That's why we don't. More specifically, we're afraid of what they'll think about us. Now, you all have read the book, right? Being a Christian is not a popularity contest. If you want to be a witness for Jesus, you're going to have some people that go, you are weird. To which we reply, awesome. Or not. Now, look, we need wisdom. We need to practice how we deliver the message for sure. 
We need an evangelism that's consistent with the approach that God has given us. I don't evangelize the way Elena evangelizes. She's got a heart that just, I'll go tell, you know, the dog walking down the street that they need to meet Jesus. And she's all excited about that. I need to have God give me an encounter. That's the way I'm wired. That's how my gifting functions. It doesn't matter which function you have, but are you walking in it and intentionally going about doing it? See, we don't just need to have another class on evangelism. Huh? You all could lead somebody to Jesus. There isn't one person here who could not lead someone to Jesus. We just need some people we can actually start talking to. Sooner or later, we just got to start doing it. Or we're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, so how'd it work out for you? That was nice. I want to suggest that Holy Spirit ministry will help us with the issue of fear, but we still got to get over it. We got to love Jesus more than we're concerned about what other people are going to think about us, and then we'll get over it. The second reason why people don't tell other people about Jesus is that we don't feel like we know enough. We live in a culture where you got to learn everything. You got to have an answer for every possible question that someone could ask you if you went up and said, hey, I just think, you know, I'm so excited about Jesus. Can I just pray for you? And they go, well, no, yeah, I have questions. And we got to get over not having answers. Because you know what? Nicodemus had every single answer in the book. He knew them all. Hello? But he saw something in Jesus that was different. When we show some people something different, we won't need an answer. Whenever I prayed for someone and they've gotten healed, they never asked me, at least non-Christians. Some Christians do sometimes. Christians are weird. They've got to have all the answers, right? Non-Christians don't care. They go, man, I was sick and I got better. How'd you do that? Jesus loves you so much he healed you. Really? That's amazing. That's been the consistent response I've gotten, except from church people. So we need to have answers, for sure. We need to know how to respond to people. The Bible says, be ready to give a reason for your belief. Because Jesus loves me, he changed my heart. You don't have to know and be able to quote Ezekiel 14.11. I have no idea what Ezekiel 14.11 is. I don't think I can quote one verse out of Ezekiel. Somebody here is going to go look that up now. We need to know the stuff, but we need to know that God wants to demonstrate how much he loves to people in a tangible, interactive way that meets them where they're at even more. The most important thing, Holy Spirit ministry is the most frequent biblical starting point for evangelism. It's not a tract. It's not a class. It's not a set of things that you know. The most frequent reason that people in the Bible initially approach Jesus is because of Holy Spirit encounter. They, may, they often didn't have theological understanding. But they knew he was different because he gave them an encounter. 
Remember in John 9, there was this blind man. Jesus healed him. The Pharisees were all upset. They drug him in front of, you know, said, you got to testify about all this stuff. Okay, this blind man has just been blind his whole life. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. They drag him up there and say, who is this guy who's done all this stuff? His response, I don't know who he is. All I know was I was blind and now I can see and I'm following him because his stuff works. See, when people encounter God, they don't care about theology. You can get that later. I'm, and please hear me. I'm not saying appropriate theology is not important. We need to get all that stuff straightened out. But the most important thing is not theology. That, that would have been a good place for people who didn't really want to study a lot of this stuff to say amen. The most important thing is not good theology. It's theology linked with encounter. Because we're interacting. If all I did was send to Mary notes talking and describing the relationship we have, the things I desire to see happen in our relationship, and I just sent her notes, we wouldn't have been married for almost 30 years. You got to have encounter, right? She wanted you to show up, eh? Yeah, it's like, no, no. no. I mean, cards are nice, but man, we got to be here and encounter. Get your theology right, but take that theology and extend it to an encounter. That's biblical evangelism. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know if he's a sinner or not because the Pharisees thought he was. I don't know that. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. The little nurse that Mary's prayed for, given her a word, doesn't know all the stuff about theology. She might have grown up in a church, maybe not. But she had an encounter, and she can't wait and hopes that her patient will be sick enough to still be there in three days. She wants her to go, but please be here. Encounter is the biblical model. It's interesting. Um... People who write biblical commentaries say in Acts 17, Paul's sermon to the Athenian people got up in the, in the town, town square. They don't call it town square. Agora, I think, or something like that. Anyway, gets up where all these people meet and they talk about all these philosophies. Commentators will say that's the best constructed sermon in the entire Bible. Verse 34 of Acts 17, you have to go there, says this. A few people became followers of Paul and believed. The best sermon identified by theological people said, that's the one. If you want to model a sermon, do that. A couple of people got saved. Paul leaves town right after that, goes to Corinth. Corinth was a train wreck. We get most of our church um, dealing with church problems out of the book of, of Corinthians, first and second, because it took two books with all their stuff. They were so screwed up. But they had the most dynamic church in Asia for years. They had the church with the most input on Holy Spirit. We're going to, you know, when we talk about Holy Spirit and gifts and stuff, it comes out of Corinthians because they were doing the stuff and they grew like crazy because they got encounter. And the Athenian people got intellect. 
We're not against intellect. Smarter you can be, the better. Solomon's the champion of smart people, and he's on our team. Yeah. But we don't have to be smart. We have to be able to give encounter. The church grew not because of a good sermon. It, it, it grew because all these people got blasted by Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the most frequent bl- biblical starting point for evangelism. Now, do you think it's a coincidence? Seriously. Is this a coincidence that when there's a story about someone becoming a follower of Jesus in the Bible, there is also a Holy Spirit encounter attached? You find somebody who decides to follow Jesus in the Bible, and somewhere around it, you will find a Holy Spirit activity. There was an encounter. It wasn't just... Here's the tract. You need to know Jesus. You're going to go to hell unless you accept Jesus. And then you're going to go to heaven. And here's all the laws. And it says, well, you know, all of sin and come short of the glory. That's all biblically true. And it's good after someone accepts Jesus. But for the evangelism part, it's about encounter. Okay, I got 16 minutes left. And I'm going to... I I got enough stuff for about an hour because I just get excited about this thing. I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of places where people decided to follow Jesus and tell you about the God encounter. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' first sermon. He preached, healed all who were sick, and the detail was not about the sermon. It was about the healings. Matthew chapter 8. After the Sermon on the Mount, he healed a man with leprosy, a servant with paralysis, Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, deliverance for all who were demonized and all who were sick, and then deliverance for two demonized men. All in one chapter. It's only about encounter with people who did not know who God was, and he healed them, delivered them, set them free, took care of oppression, and they came to know him. That's all that's in there. Is Is this just some weird coincidence? Chapter 9, healed a paralyzed man, a woman with persistent bleeding, raised a girl from the dead, restored the sight of two blind men, and delivered a demonized man who was mute. The entire chapter is about encounter where people who did not know who God was and Jesus went and did Holy Spirit dynamic healings and ministry to them. Two entire chapters in a row about nothing but that. Do you think that's an accident? Like the Holy Spirit just goes, I don't know what to put here for a while. We just had the Sermon on the Mount. That's a really hot stuff. It's really good things. We'll just toss a little, you know, healing in here. I don't think Holy Spirit did it that way. So after two entire chapters of that, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out the 12. And what does he say when he sends out the 12? Now, I understand there's some good principles. It's like friendship evangelism and all that sort of thing. And those are good things. Ed Silvoso writes a ton of good stuff about chapter 10. But what did Jesus say to the boys when he said, okay, guys, here you go. Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says to them, as you go, preach this message. You are a sinner and you're going to hell. He did not say that, did he? What did he say? The kingdom of heaven is near. How can you know that? Oh, well, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, that is your message, is here. And here's how you let them know it's here. You heal the sick. You cast out demons. 
I didn't write this stuff. Holy Spirit decided he wanted to write this. Matthew chapter 11. John's put into prison. He's going to die because he really made uh, Pharaoh. Well, they were related. Herod, angry. They came from the same spirit. Thank you for smiling. I appreciate that. John, who baptized Jesus, knows he's going to die. And so he sends one of his, his followers and said, go check with Jesus one more time. I want to make sure if I'm going to lose my head, I do it for the right guy. So he says, in verse 4 of Matthew 11, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, and here's Jesus' reply to John, who's going to die shortly. He said, here's the reason why you can know I'm the guy. You did it right, man. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus defined his own ministry by signs and wonders and presence of the Holy Spirit encounter with other people. Look, if Jesus defined his ministry that way, who are we to then say, I'll just be nice to the people around me and they'll figure out somehow that it's God in me, even though, you know, the Buddhist in the desk next to me is just as nice. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This matters because some of the people in our lives, whether they're nurses or coworkers, the guy who picks you up when you ride Uber, wherever you encounter people, if they don't meet Jesus, they're going to spend eternity part, apart from him. This matters. Jesus said, here's the whole reason I'm going. You go and tell people. But it isn't just preach at them. It isn't tell them you're better and they're not. You're saved, they're not. They're sinners, we're not. Give them an encounter with the guy who actually changed our lives. Somebody say amen or God help me or something. Matthew 11. Jesus began to denounce these two cities. So he says in 20 and 21... Jesus began to announce the cities which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. 21, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Then look at what he says. Not because they had good theology or bad theology. Not because they figured everything out. He said, If the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have long ago repented in sackcloth and ashes. He says the driver for choosing is miracles. Not preaching. This kind of bothers me because I don't do enough of this Holy Spirit stuff. This week will be a challenge because of what I'm going to say, but there isn't hardly a week that goes through that I don't give a prophetic word to somebody somewhere some coffee shop person or something. Why? Because God said this is the most important thing we do. And one of the things I do most comfortably is to give prophetic words to people, and I don't care where they're at. I can do that. I'm not real good at raising the dead yet. Yet. God owes me one. He does. I went really out on a limb and prayed for somebody in a hospital in front of a whole bunch of people who didn't know Jesus, and the guy didn't 
come back to life. He owes me one. But now it's been so long, interest. He owes me two or three. And I think that's what he wants to do. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus healed all who were sick and healed a demonized man who was blind and mute. Matthew chapter 14, multiplied food and fed 5,000 men plus women and children, walked in the water, calmed a storm, and healed all who were sick. Matthew chapter 15, multiplied food, fed 4,000 men plus men and women, women and children. Matthew 17, healed a demonized boy of epilepsy. Matthew 20, healed two blind men, and on and on it goes. Out of one of the Gospels. Why do you think Holy Spirit decided to put all of this stuff in there? He could put whatever you want. John said Jesus did so much stuff, if he wrote it all down, all the books in the planet wouldn't be able to hold everything he did. Why did he pick all this stuff? Why was there a highlight on saying ministry of Holy Spirit, God encounters, healings and deliverance. Why do you think he said that? Could it possibly be that it's a model for us? Southern California, they had a thing for a while where you could offer to clean, I don't know, two miles or a mile or something of highway. And if you did, you could say, you could get a little sign that said, you know, John's Tacos, you know, is cleaning the next mile of the highway. So you get a little bit of advertising and then you had to go out and they would help you and you'd clean the highway. We were driving along one day and I looked at the sign and my wife is so good. She laughs at all the stupid things I say. And she laughed at this one. We're driving along. I see this and it says, you know, the first church of the whatever is cleaning the highway for the next mile. To which me and one of my less holy moments said, wow, we can't get anybody healed, so we clean the highway. And she left really big. But it brings up something that we've dumbed down or compromised evangelism to where now we just talk about it with people and hope they like it. We say nice things to them and hope they'll figure out somehow there's a connection between the nice thing we said and Jesus. The biblical model says, show them an encounter. Okay, I got... Seven minutes. Look, it can be all kinds of stuff. Zacchaeus, how did Zacchaeus get saved? Jesus went to his house. How did Jesus know to go to his house? He picked him out of a tree in the middle of a crowd. How did he know that was the guy who was ready? Word of knowledge. Holy Spirit said, the dude in the tree, he's the one. Go get him. How did the crowd even get there in the first place so that Zacchaeus had to get up in the tree so Jesus could pick him out to go to his house and he would become a follower of Jesus? He had just healed a blind man, a massive crowd. Holy Spirit encounters in the Bible are everywhere when people are changed to following him. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. They're all sitting there, Jesus sitting there going, well, the guys are out doing their thing and I'm just sitting here. God, what do you want me to do? And all these, you know, mostly ladies are coming up to the, to the well. One of them comes up, God says, the Holy Spirit says, that's the one, talk to her. Oh, okay, well, that's fine. I'm just sitting here waiting for somebody anyway. They're talking for a while, and then Holy Spirit says, tell them about, tell her that you know about her marital status. That'll get their attention when you've had five, and the one you're living with now isn't your partner. 
she immediately changes gears and goes, you're a prophet. Now, he did it in a way that didn't condemn because she still talked to him and she eventually goes, I'm following this guy. He's got connections. And what our job is, is to give people connections. Not just be nice. I mean, be nice. Look, the woman didn't care about Jesus' theology. The woman didn't have any clue. She wasn't Jewish. She didn't have any idea about Messiah. She had an encounter that goes, this guy knows everything about me. I want to follow this guy. See, in Acts 1.8, it said we will be given power to be witnesses. You don't need power to look like everybody else. Hello? We do not need Holy Spirit power to look like everybody else just being nice. Fortunately, in Acts, there's a whack of it. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, 3,000 people are added in one day. Fire came in. I don't know what it looked like. You can imagine it. We were talking about, I can only imagine, I can only imagine what it looked like to be in a room that looks like everybody's on fire. I don't know what that is. A wind came through to the point where it sounded like a storm. But what happened? Then they all spoke in tongues. That's pretty distinctive. These guys are drunk. No, they're not. They're actually talking about you. Because everybody said, oh, I can understand that. Do you think God can't do that? You can speak in a tongue that they can hear? I guarantee you they have. It happened in my cell group. We've had, a, we've had five different languages spoken, and somebody there recognized it. it. It's not just back then. And what happened? 3,000 people were added. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a crippled man. Verse 11 says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Acts chapter 5, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All of the people were healed and people were saved daily. Do you see any kind of a pattern here? Acts chapter 6 is very cool. How many people here are involved in the hospitality ministry? One, two, three, four, five. Listen, if you can't raise your hand here to respond to that, you are not going to go prophesy over somebody at work. You're not going to do that. So let's try it. How many people are involved in hospitality ministry? Now see, double the number. Get over yourselves and start participating. Acts chapter 6, the disciples are, t- you know, getting, getting this thing called, okay, there's all this stuff going on with, you know, the distribution of food. So the disciples said, God said to the disciples, choose seven full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to distribute food. Put up your hands again. Do you understand that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom as a part of that ministry? And look what this ministry did. So Stephen gets picked, verse 8, it says, a man full of God's grace and power who did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. The guy is doing snacks. Uh, 
What kind? I don't care. If you get that kind of output, we don't care. Is it possible that while you're sitting up the table out there, somebody could walk in the door who needs healing or needs deliverance, and you could turn around and pray for them because God said, here's what they need, and you pray for them, and they get blasted and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit in the lobby trying to get a cup of coffee to come into church. It happened with Stephen. Why not with you? God is not a respecter of persons. If he'll do it for Stephen, he will do it for you. Somebody say, thank you. Come on, this isn't just a nice book to read that you put down and go, wow, I'll put it on the shelf because that was an interesting output. Philip is in the middle of a revival. All kinds of signs and wonders are happening to him. God says, excuse me for a second. Can you leave this? You go, God, you know, we've been waiting for the revival. It's all time to go now. It's really cooking right now. And you want me to do what? He says, leave up here where you are. Walk out into the middle of the desert and start walking down this desert road. Revival, God. Remember, you know, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm like the speaker for this thing. But God says, walk down this road. Could God set you up in such a way that you would meet someone because he just said, go to a different place? And they just happen to be reading the Bible about Jesus. And he says, can you tell me about this guy? And he goes, yeah, I can do that. Now, look, I don't know how good you are at evangelism. I'm not very good at it. But I can lead somebody to Jesus if they're reading the book about Jesus. I can do that. He leads them to Jesus, baptizes them. And then the Holy Spirit says, oh, by the way, you're done. And off he is to another city. Guy comes out of the water, goes, well, I don't know where that went, but that was cool. And he's off and he knows Jesus. God is not a respecter of persons. If you'll do it, who's this guy? Philip. If you'll do it for Philip, he will do it for you. Acts chapter 9, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. It became known all over Joppa. Joppa. And many people believed the Lord. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his whole family were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit as a result of a prophetic dream that he got. Acts chapter 12, Peter's miraculous escape from prison changed the life of the church. Acts chapter 13, Elimus the sorcerer influenced the entire region. He was struck blind by a word from Paul's declaration. As a result, the leader of the entire region accepted Jesus because something happened to the guy who'd been speaking in his ear before. Acts chapter 14, in Lystra, Paul healed a man who was lame from birth. As a result, a great crowd came, and Peter and Barnabas, it says, preached to the entire city. Where did we get being nice and giving out a tract was a biblical model for evangelism. And it's not any fun. Do you know how cool it is? To have a nurse who's working, running all over the place and makes a point to come back and say, can you tell me more about what you just did? I had that happen about four days ago. It's just more fun than going, here's a tract. You're going to hell. Bless God. Hallelujah. Or whatever your model is. I'll be real nice to you. And somehow you're going to know that I'm a Christian and Jesus loves you and he wants to walk. You're going to figure it out by osmosis. Oh, it's way more fun the other way. There's way more accounts than what I gave. Is all of this, and I'm going to stop with this. I'm two minutes over, so I promise I'll take two minutes and give it back to you next time I speak. Actually, I did that last time, so I got a credit. Is it any accident 
that all of this stuff is in there about signs and wonders, healings, deliverance. Holy Spirit just happened to do it? Or maybe he was saying to every one of us, here's how you do kingdom evangelism. Here's how you do the fun stuff. Here's how you see heaven on earth. We all know the prayer, right? On, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, this is how we get it. We do the stuff. Still got my th- three more minutes of credit. I got my hair cut this week because I, I took a little while because I was still healing up from, from the um, cancer procedure. By the way, those of you who weren't here, I got no more cancer because it's illegal. So I took a little longer and I was going to get my hair cut. And I, and I checked. I said, hey, how's your neck? Because God healed her last time I prayed for it. That, you know, they always make a place for you for some reason when you pray for them and they get healed. So they fit me in. I said, how's your neck? And she goes, well, my neck's really good, but now my knee hurts. And she's had all kinds of problems with her knee. She's already thinking in terms. This is, I, she's, I think, a kind of a... But Sunday go to meet in Muslim, you know, we have Sunday go to meet in Christians that just show up in church on, you know, Christmas and Easter. Well, she's the equivalent as, as a Muslim. She goes, well, you're going to pray for me, right? Okay. How hard is it to tell somebody about Jesus when they're asking you to pray for them? Yeah. Maybe she'll join the Farsi class or something, except she's pretty good with English. There are more accounts of Holy Spirit ministry during evangelism than there are any other kind of model by a long margin. Look up every place where people came to know Jesus in the New Testament, and you will find Holy Spirit activity because Holy Spirit evangelism is the most common method of evangelism in the Bible. God, I thank you for today. I hope this helped somebody. I hope it helped us to be a little bit more involved and connected in actually bringing heaven to earth and adding more people to the kingdom. Amen. Have an encounter-filled week, okay? Amen. Thanks for the extra five minutes.